So my name is Anna Ashelman. Um, I am currently in a small town in Eastern Oregon, uh, Pendleton. And um, although I consider the general Pacific Northwest uh, my home for the last about 10 years, um, and uh, my current title is a graphic designer, illustrator, and production artist. Um, I currently work full-time as a contractor with the Climate Program Office at NOAA. So I'm on the communications team there. Um, but in my freelance practice, I, yeah, I consider myself a designer or a cartographic designer. I mean, I think I've been making maps since I was a kid. I love to draw. Um, I was always... I always, you know, my parents always supplied um, pencils, paints, just we always had art supplies around kind of getting started and thinking about the spatial world um, at a very young age, I guess. But like, I don't remember my first, my first ever map. I, I feel like it could have been when I first started getting interested in drawing my own maps. Um, it may have come from an internship that I had after undergrad. I uh, had the opportunity to work within the Arctic Studies Center at the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History in DC. I was working with a grad student who was working on archeological dig sites in Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, sort of like, this is like Norse explorers over a thousand years ago and I was just you know, getting the pen tool in Illustrator and kind of sketching out some of these dig sites, like super rudimentary, really simple. But I, I got a little taste of, you know, what, um, I guess what map making could be, um, for that particular purpose. Um, I think that might've been the first time that I got started thinking about map making. And these were super zoomed in large scale maps, like a dig site. Exactly. Yeah, like from an aerial view and then maybe from <clears throat> looking from the side at different depths of soil, which also is something I think a lot about with some of my current work, like how can, you know, the sense of scale on the infographic. That's the internships. I got a job um, working with Font Shop, um, which was, and at the time in San Francisco after college, it was a dream job for me in college. I, actually focused on, um, I have a just graphic design background. So I went to an art school and studied, you know, traditional drawing and painting and sculpture and photography. And after that, um, I realized like typography um, and fine typography and working with fonts is sort of where I start when I think about a design or a map. Um, so I sort of focused in that world for a few years, fonts and typographic design. And it seems like that really like led me to thinking about how I can incorporate type and also get off the computer a little bit more, um, you know, whether I was in full-time work or freelance and start getting back to drawing um, with pencil and a big sheet of paper um, and kind of using, using type as a starting point. Uh, but yeah, I'd say hand-drawn um, is where I found the most inspiration at first. Just like getting back to the basics, really getting off the computer. Oh, I see. Was the cascade uh, start from an early age drawing, go to art school, get into design, get into typography, and then loop back to illustration and the hand hand stuff? Exactly. 
yeah, it, my own moth projects, I think, started as a way to get back into drawing um, and sort of focus on topics I was you know, interested in and, and passionate about. Um, because I'd always been interested in environmental science and conservation and, and the natural world and, you know, the outdoors and trails and going off trail and thinking about um, almost like, how can I, you know, yeah. <laughs> like that that was the medium that communicated. Like, because I, I think about this, I uh, I got the Wonderland trail map hanging in my house. And I'm like, that makes me awesome. feel cold looking at it. Like, <laughs> it takes a real, like, uh, when I talked to Alex Hotchin and looked at, she was like, yeah, I mapped my dad's farm. And I look at the map and I'm like, oh, I'm getting, I'm feeling it. Like, I can feel the creek and smell the pine duff and see the colors. Like, that's interesting that you, uh, uh, there's only two ways into map making for most people. It's uh, GIS first or an illustrator. And I find the illustrators have a real, uh, the only way to get a real unique look to a map is hire an illustrator. Yeah. No defaults. I, <laughs> yeah, she is uh, so inspiring and the watercolor and the use of um, you know, sense of place and the storytelling through those maps. And exactly though, the Mount Rainier, um, the Wonderland Trail map that you referenced, um, you know, this mountain is just massive. You know, the native uh, place name is Tahonon. It's, you know, this enormous volcano in the Cascade Range, just east of Seattle. It's over 14,000 feet high. It has this trail that goes around the entire thing that's nearly 100 miles long and it has thousands of feet of vert. You're always either hiking up or down. And um, I, you know, I went around, I circumnavigated the mountain for a backpacking trip by myself in 2016. And it was just such a crazy journey. Um, yeah, like you said, um, all those details of the heat the at nighttime. I mean, some of my strongest memories from that hike were actually at night, which prompted the idea for that illustration on um, the map you know, getting up a couple of hours before the sun rose to get a head start on my third day, which was the biggest day mileage-wise, kind of like being awoken in the middle of the night um, when I was camping at Snow Lake by the sound of this faraway rock fall or ice fall or avalanche. Um, and just the way that the way that, that mountain and the snow looks at night and feels at night. Um, so that that was a project that I sort of circled back to a few years after I made the daytime version, which is a little bit more of a storytelling piece, um, taking bits and pieces and annotating areas around the Wonderland Trail from journal entries that I made when I was on the hike. Did you sketch while you were on this hike? In a couple of places. Uh, just, I think, um, so I kind of, I'm, I've loved to plan and I love like thinking about routes and I, I mean, I look at maps all the time, um, thinking about trails and ideas for, um, how it might make sense to break up days on the trail, depending on the goals of the adventure. Um, so in this case though, I actually did not have a permit to go around the mountain. I had to go walk up. So I basically was just at the mercy of whatever was available. So 
one of my days was really, really long. Others were kind of short. So it wasn't necessarily the ideal itinerary, but that's sort of what made the trip so impactful was um, having these specific moments where it was just incredibly challenging or incredibly beautiful and kind of just strips away um, any expectations I had about the journey. So in those instances, I would, if I had some time at the end of the day, just sketch where I was or jot down some notes, um, just carry like, uh, you know, five by four pieces of folded up paper stapled in the middle, just something super lightweight with a, with a pencil to throw in my backpack and then use those sketches as almost like snapping a photo, something to look back on later. Oh, wow. So am I hearing this right? You had an extra absurdly compressed schedule where you're doing like 22 miles a day. <laughs> uh, I think one of the days was like 26 miles. The other days were much more reasonable. Um, I didn't have much experience or any experience like um, backpacking solo. I mean, there were lots of other folks on the trail. Um, so it was it was a mix of, of days. Just every day was different. Um, yeah. And kind of curating and kind of figuring out, you know, what what is this? What is the purpose of this map? What do I want to share? It started as a personal project. And I think um, I, I was challenged by some of those questions as I thought, well, like, if I am going to share this even online or on my website, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just make a print for myself um, as, a, as a memory of this trip. That, um, so those questions were interesting and challenging to navigate. This is for fun? <laughs> 26 <laughs> miles in, in winter? No, no, no. This was the daytime version of the map. So the winter one is just, um, yeah, just a portrait of a single memory, perhaps of a night or just uh, looking back. This is like two years later after I made the first map. I, you know, I work with layers. So I have my drawing as the base map um, that I've used in reference, say, getting on Google Earth, looking at different angles. Um, experimenting with sort of draping hillshade, what kind of feels right for the angle of the mountain where in my memory, um, based on my starting point, which was Mount Lake, what makes sense. And um, from there, I layer on digital color and I have all of the annotations and all of the labels on separate layers within Photoshop and Illustrator. So, you know, when it came time to think about making the nighttime winter version, um, I could just strip away the the daytime color, all of those annotations, and sort of start from scratch from the drawing, and rework the piece. Does that uh, does that make sense? Just so I'm getting the tell, uh, let me know where I messed this up. You started with the pencil sketch from the four by five sheet that you packed, then scanned in a digital color, uh, look at imagery to see how the lighting should look, and then fill that in? Yeah, pretty much. So, you know, first off, looking at Google Earth, deciding on the angle um, of the mountain and thinking about that kind of vertical exaggeration of how, what feels right um, at a certain point of view. I actually don't know that kind of the elevation of, say, where my quote camera was looking, um, but I have QGIS and, you know, could drape a hillshade in there and see what what makes sense. Um, and then I downloaded and layered the trail data of the actual trail system itself, maybe even glaciers and rivers. Layered all that in. Then I would print out or just reference 
what I've created in the drawing. So I have a light table, um, like a light pad that I use to get some basic elements sort of sketched out. So it's sort of a mix of um, kind of copying what I've created from the computer, um, like tracing what I've what I've created by hand using paper and pencil, and then also like drawing just from sort of looking and from memory or from what I'm feeling about the terrain. Um, I mean, the accuracy like is not, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a mix of accuracy and just the general feeling, right? Um, and then I would scan in my drawing once the drawing, the pencil drawing is completed. Um, during the pandemic, I didn't have access to going into town to, you know, go to a flatbed scanner. So I actually would cut up my drawings and scan them on my tiny eight half by 11 scanner, um, at home, which was, uh, a little painful, but it's also, I think, a good exercise to not to get too attached to anything. Um, so then once I reassembled everything on the computer, digitally color it um, using Photoshop, and that's something that I would love to learn more about. Um, I have a Wacom tablet, and I'm, I feel like there's so many artists, designers, and cartographers that have um, a lot more experience and create beautiful work with digital colors. So that's, you know, I feel like my skills are pretty rudimentary at this time, but something I'd like to get better at, um, as well as the hand lettering, digitizing that, and then assembling everything together in Photoshop. Are you, you had to chop up the original? <laughs> um, what was the in, original size? <laughs> so actually, the Wonderland Trail map drawing is intact. The original, it's probably about uh, maybe like 14 by 20 or so. The, um, a couple of other projects, I've, I I had to cut them up. <laughs> now I have access to a, a larger scanner, so that isn't a problem anymore. But... <laughs> <laughs> that summit fever right there. It's like, I could wait till I could get to the big scanner, but I'm going <laughs> to take my exacto to my beloveds. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And uh, I like what you said earlier about the mix of the feeling and the data. Um, I might be getting that wrong, but uh, in your on your work, I guess uh, for Noah, do you have to balance a lot more towards the data than the feeling? D definitely, a lot of the work that um, I do with the team uh, for Climateca visuals are you know templated, um, and we need to be extremely accurate and very careful with. Um, with spacing, with the data, with our color palettes, with every aspect of our visualizations. Um, and I'm speaking for myself, of, of course, but um, I do find that work to be oddly satisfying as well. Just like very, uh, like the technical nature of that work. There is some room for creativity, but um, yeah, I would say the outlet to to really um, kind of explore the, the feeling of the piece would be um, not necessarily getting back to just traditional media. Um, I think that a lot of, a lot of feeling and a lot of um, creativity and can be found and experienced and shared through the digital medium. And I think that's where, through my personal project and the maps I've created as a freelancer, sort of finding that balance of um, traditional and digital media, seeing how and when to use which method um, and how they can be 
mixed together and layered together, depending on the project. And like you said, like what feeling you're going for or um, what content you are wanting to emphasize. Have you had a freelance project that was uh, balanced more towards the old stuff? Like, I'm going to leave QGIS alone for this one and just get my pencils out. Yeah. And uh, let's see. So I worked on a project, um, actually a, a, a friend of mine, um, her father had walked on the same trail for decades. It's just backyard, um, kind of tender ties to place. Right. And I think, um, you know, working with either someone that I know personally or a client who has a, you know, a deep connection or just something that's really important to them, um, that they wanted to represent, um, as a map. Um, working on that project, it's on my website. Um, I can point, maybe point you to it later. Um, but it's a Gen C park, kind of Colorado, um, pine, kind of mid-high elevation landscape. And I might have looked at some, like, digital elevation model on QJS just to get some ideas, but that was mostly hand-drawn. Um, and kind of, like, asking, like, okay, like, what look and feel do we want? at the beginning of the project and kind of deciding together which route to go and what techniques might be fitting for the project. Just so I understand this, th her father had uh, hiked the same trail forever and she wanted Just to commemorate it. A long time. And, uh, it was a gift, a gift for him, um, a surprise gift. And so, yeah, that one itself was, was meaningful. And yeah, I think it came out really well. You know, I sometimes, at the beginning of a project, I might have this idea of, oh, here's how I think it might end up looking. It might turn out with this color palette or with these textures or have this feel. But in this case, it sort of evolved as as we were working and like the feedback process, kind of getting ideas or looking at more images of the landscape. And I, I had the opportunity to walk on this trail years ago. So I had a sense, at least in one season of the year, right, like um, what it felt like from my in impression so yeah, a lot of them um, conversation and um i came interesting i mean i i definitely uh, you know i have trouble sometimes figuring out where to stop a project um, how do we know when it's done and um i think this is a snapshot in time but that's an interesting part of the process too is figuring out when it's concluded and i think it came out okay that yeah yeah don't you ever feel that way with your work finding that finalizing moment or when it's done is done i can't wait to, to call it done i call it done before <laughs> before i should like, <laughs> my background was in editorial so if it couldn't be done on the beat of the weekly magazine then forget it yeah and okay so you got to walk on that trail you walked on that trail you talked to your friend and then you translated all that into the page yeah yeah and you know these um, initial projects like years ago, um, it was a, a, also my me experimenting with techniques. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing in some ways. I have, of course, a background in design. I have a background in typography. I have skills in drawing, but um, and I've, I've been obsessed with maps forever. Um, it's just kind of figuring out how to 
put all that together. And um, so grateful for um, my friend for, you know, taking a chance on me and seeing some examples of things I've done. Um, and I get, yeah. Do you like draw big and then shrink? Yeah, I find, I guess it depends on the project, but yes, I think drawing larger and then scaling down um, just allows for those details to kind of coalesce a little bit more together. I usually use, it depends like for the Mount Rainier piece, I used different shades of uh, a pencil and just had a sharper with me and an eraser there. Um, but I'll often work with a mechanical pencil, like a really fine tipped mechanical pencil, which allows for a great amount of detail, but, um, you know, depending on the quality of your scanner, um, I find, yeah, having that larger drawing and then scaling it down just smooths the quality out a little bit. And then, of course, you can print at larger sizes, too, if you are thinking about a printed piece. You use that pencil and mechanical pencil as an expediency on the trail because it was light, or do you prefer to work in pencil, mechanical pencil? Oh, like you mean bringing what, you know, what drawing or writing utensil do I bring on the trail with me versus I just, I just I think, I... uh Say, if you had your choice, like you're sitting in your studio and you have no no consideration of weight, do you prefer to draw with a pencil? Yes. I really like the mechanical pencil. Was that a long-term technique of yours? <laughs> That's a good question. I feel like I just always gravitated towards using a mechanical pencil. Um, although, yeah, just as a starting point, I mean, I'm, I love getting into the detail, using a fatter, deliberately dull pencil just to get things started and force myself to not get into the details too quickly. That's also something that I do. <laughs> Can you say more on that? That's fascinating. Like I remember one of the basic uh, exercises in art school, um, just in my drawing one class, right? Like we were not allowed to draw lines. We had a large piece of charcoal on a large paper and just thinking about blocking out shapes, um, which was a pretty new exercise for me because I just obviously love the mechanical pencil. I love drawing lines. I love sketching things out that way. But it allows you to think about shape and form and contrast differently. So, um, yeah, to prevent myself from getting into the details too quickly, say working on shading one certain area of the terrain above a lake, because I love, you know, maybe I'm excited about that piece in this particular spot in this map at the moment. Looking back at the full picture and sketching out either with, um, you know, a duller, larger, pencil or if I'm on the computer just blocking out like a trans having a layer of just blocking out transparent shapes just to get the layout started um so I don't go too far down the road um where I might not want to be at the moment get the gestalt first and then drill down yeah exactly is most of your income from w2 Noah or are you getting a lot of freelance income from your maps <laughs> yeah that's a good question um so, you know, currently, um, the amount of time that I have to dedicate towards freelance work and these more like hand-drawn personal projects um, and client work is pretty limited. It ebbs and flows, but I am, um, like two years ago, like during COVID and before that, my income was primarily my freelance practice. Now, um, it is through NOAA um, as a contractor for the Climate Program Office. 
And um, just the way that life has been the last year, I have not done um, much freelance work, but um, just a lot going on in life and we only have enough time for, um, you know, what we choose to prioritize. And just at the moment, um, that's where I'm at, but it's, I always have a project kind of going on my back burner and lots of ideas. So yeah, it's been an ebb and flow. It's been a mix. Do you prefer that steadiness or do you like that eat what you kill kind of freelance life? I have oscillated back and forth between the two for the last 10 years. And I just, there's pros and cons to both, right? Like I love the flexibility and the intensity that freelance work can provide. But I also crave stability and I love just knowing, you know, I can, partially it's the, it's the job that I currently have. I just, I'm so grateful to have landed with this team, um, with working at Climate Talk of the work I feel is very meaningful. And that's something that, um, I have realized that I need in my life and my work. I need to be producing things that I care about for people that I care about, for purposes that I care about, that I think are important. Um, so with freelance, I think it's a mix. Uh, it was, you know, sometimes you take a job to pay the bills, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But, um, right now I'm, yeah, I'm in a place that feels like a good balance because I, I still do have time evenings and weekends to pursue drawing and other projects. We'll see where life goes, I guess. I see. Like if things calm down, you have a little more time, you would take more freelance? Yeah, and I've done that in the past with working full-time or being in you know, grad school and still doing freelance. It's always a balance that I would consider it again. Mm-hmm. Can you remember a, a real challenge that, you, that really stretched your ability as a cartographer or illustrator? Yeah, okay. So I'd say... One of the first maps that I worked on when I was at Timber Press, so after um, I left California and the world of fonts and I moved to Portland, Oregon, I was hired as a book designer um, for a small publisher focusing on horticulture, gardening, natural science books. So we did field guides and um, other books about uh, the natural world and natural sciences. So although I was primarily a layout designer, working a lot in Adobe InDesign, um, the creative director realized I have skills in Illustrator and asked, hey, can you create like a spot illustration or a spot graph for this spread? Um, If we have a freelance budget, but sometimes we needed extra graphics. So um, one day he asked me if I could create a map. for a book we were working on that's published now, was published a few years ago. It was called Nature's Temples by Joan Maloof. Um, and Joan is the founder and director of the Old Growth Forest Network. So it's an organization that works to protect um, remaining stands of like primary forests. Um, and it's really cool. Like they set aside certain disturbed forests like all across the country that will eventually grow into quote, like future old growth forests. Um, And the goal is to have like one forest in each county, like somewhere where everyone can have access to explore and enjoy and learn about these 
the importance of these ecosystems. So the map was, um, the, co the concept was to create a map of the last glacial maximum, like at the end of the Pleistocene, North America, the ice sheet coming down over like a sphere, a globe. And this at the time, this was before I had ever, aside from the Arctic Studies Center, just like vector site illustrations, I had never used a GIS. I didn't know anything about like really anything about cartography. Um, and so I just kind of had to learn on the fly and that was really challenging. I think partially just learning where to find data sources, quickly learning the program. Um, I mean, it was a very simple map <laughs> and it ended up turning out okay, but it was just, um, that was, that was a challenge. Just, um, I think the speed at which we needed it done and, um, just the, the high quality, our standards of like, I really want to do a good job with this, you know? Um, I really want to make sure that this is fitting for this book, which I had so much respect for. And it, it was a challenge because you had to, you know, get your head around software. The, the technical challenge. And I think, I mean, working with the editors, we generally have an idea of what we want on the map, what annotations we want. I have the text and the content like set. So that wasn't a challenge. It wasn't like I was coming up with the idea or generating the content. So that, and that was good um, and simple. But yeah, the technical challenges at first, because there's a learning curve. Um, I think I still have so much to learn with uh, GIS, and uh, but that was the starting point. So. It feels like it was, it's a lot better to be an artist learning to do GIS than a GIS guy learning to do art. Oh yeah, you think so? Is, is that sort of your background? Yeah, like I can't draw for anything. It it would it would pain you to see me draw a straight line. <laughs> and I find if I'm if I have to do any representation that isn't totally flat Cartesian, I'm totally lost. I can't do it. That's really interesting. Yeah, I was thinking about that kind of the all the different backgrounds that um, you and I and other map lovers and map makers have, kind of all arriving in this place is making things um it's it's really inspiring to hear about that like um there's always hope evan i mean <laughs> you know, it takes so much patience and persistence to learn something new and i think we all have our our uh, strengths and we all have our weaknesses right but um i think that that's that is another challenge that i've encountered is just you know pushing ourselves a little bit to like dip into those weaknesses more and then um yeah. Do you have like a hundred thousand yard target project where you're like, I re I want a giant chunk of time to do this? Yeah, I mean, um, building on the Mount Rainier Cascade volcano uh, years ago, I had sketched out an idea for a map of the Cascade volcanoes, just the entire range. Um, thinking about that, I have these large rolls of paper in my closet that are blank right now. And I'm just like, ah, wouldn't it be incredible to like dig back into, you know, learn a little bit more about rendering, um, terrain by hand. Um, I think there's like, I'm really inspired by, uh, say like Tom Patterson, um, for example, like who like learned a lot and developed his own style for shaded relief. And then later move towards digital techniques. Um, there's like, yeah, like shadedrelief.com, shadedreliefarchive. 
just an archive of like hand-drawn and manual shaded relief for use by anyone. Like it's open source, it's public domain, the images are free. Um, and they're geo, some of them are geo-referenced. So those sorts of like, if I had that time to go back and dig back in and look at this inspiration and think, okay, like what can I do um, from these ideas? The Cascade Range um, volcanic, vol Cascade Volcanoes would be something I would love to do. It's just, I spend so much time in these mountains and there's, of course, the Wonderland Trail which circumnavigates Mount Rainier and there's also the Lewitt Trail which circumnavigates Mount St. Helens. Um, there's other, you know, there's, this, I spend a lot of time in these places and it's, I mean, aside from thinking about making maps and this large chunk of time that would be needed to create something that big is I just then I think about mountains in the natural world and climate warming and what's happening in our environment. I just think about it all the time, not only at my job, but like outside of work. And how big are these rolls? Like 40, <laughs> like big printer, 40, 48 inch platter rolls? Yeah. So I think it was a few years ago, I went to um, an art store in Portland and those large drawers pull out and kind of testing out what uh, paper takes a mechanical pencil well, right? Going back to mechanical pencils. So I have some big sheets of watercolor. They're, you know, they're like four feet wide, um, heavier watercolor or, um, experimenting with different types of cotton. So I'll have to go back and kind of see, see what works. Um, but yeah, they're, um, I don't know exactly, but probably three feet, I'd say three or four feet. And then, um, at least some are three feet long. Some are probably up to five feet long. So. Wow. So if you had your druthers, big chunk of time, no other commitments, uh, a three by five, nice piece of paper and the Cascade Volcanoes <laughs> and a mechanical pencil, six months. Oh uh, yeah, sure. It's um, meditative. Pay, you can listen to podcasts while you're doing it. <laughs> so you've spent a lot of time hiking around these. Yeah, I moved to, I moved to the area in, um, 2014 and I've always loved to hike and I got into trail running as a way to get out on on weekends with a full-time job but to be able to see more of these trails and so I spent um a lot of time out there and um it changes I mean every season is different throughout the years I've been here it's different and of course like I didn't grow up here um but I'm curious if I do stay uh, how these places will continue changing in the next 10 20 30 years and how that will inform what, you know, what I and others think about the landscape. Have you ever gotten a, a freelance commission that started with you walking it? Like you had to lay eyes on it? Ooh, that's a great question. So um, to a certain extent, one example that comes up is I collaborated with a friend of mine who started a, a little map company here locally, Wonderland Mapping. Um, and we worked together on designing some maps for local trail races. So, um, you know, we would, uh, he would go out and walk the, walk the course and then have that GPX, that data that then we could bring back and, and work on annotating. And sometimes there was some instances like, oh, like, 
if there's a change or I need to go check out this one section, where is this aid station going to be for the runners who need water and food? And they need, there's certain information that we're going to need to include on this map. Maybe there's a lake or a, um, a mountain peak that is visible from the course that'd be of interest to the runners. So, um, uh, like for example, the backcountry rise is a race in, um, north of Mount St. Helens. Um, those courses that basically go through the blast zone. Um, so some of the trees from the blast in the 1980s from in Wake Mount St. Helens erupted are just laying flat on the ground still, you know, all these decades later, some are standing and there's regrowth of plants. In some areas, it looks like a desert scape. It's, it's just an incredible, um, area that I've been too many times. And so you know, going there and, and actually taking the time to, to hike and run that course, um, brought them ideas back to incorporate into the map. You know, maybe that wasn't, uh, absolutely necessary. The information and the data of where the aid stations are, what mileage is between what point is most important for runners, how much planning is there, how much vertical gain. Those in pieces were the foundation of the, of the maps. Right. Um, but yeah, adding a little bit more, um, to them, I think being on the land was helpful. We couldn't have done it without actually being there. We couldn't have done that um, without having been on on site. Have you seen Tau Row Alpha's oblique maps of Mount St. Helens? Ooh, I wonder if I have. Um, it's possible. I would love to see. I'll link them to you later. He was a thank you a guy who worked for the Geological Survey for forty years. I was didn't learn to read until he was 17 and in 2000 when they told him you have to use a computer he's like i quit and he's my mapping hero because he just did all ink and pencil and his map of mount st helens was made to compare it to the crater lake eruption mostly to show that like wow what 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 small fry what a small fry mount st helens was compared to the <laughs> uh, mount mazama explosion six thousand years ago Oh, that's fantastic. That comparison would be fascinating to see. I would love to take a look at that. It sounds like, yeah, I think those comparisons can be very impactful. Um, even thinking recently, like last fall, I believe it was, um, we took a trip out to Hell's Canyon, which is just east of here. And it is um, a canyon, the Snake River runs through it, basically the eastern um, border of Oregon, with Idaho on the other side. And it is technically deeper than the Grand Canyon. It doesn't feel as expensive, and it's definitely like very different from the Grand Canyon. But getting back later and just looking up examples to see a comparison between the two side by side, it just completely changed my perspective of the place. And is that your preferred terrain? Like you see a mountain, you think, or a, a river valley, and think that's me. I want to draw that. I want to be in that. <laughs> I like, you know, I don't know if it is a product of me growing up in, you know, the foothills in New Hampshire. I just always loved hills, um, just kind of feel at home um, amongst the mountains. And um, yeah, like where water carves, where water has either, you know, there's a glacier and that glacier turns into a river. And then that river carves these valleys, exits to the sea. It's just like this basic, almost cliche, like flow um yeah it's just it's never endingly fascinating to me so definitely the mountains and glaciers and rivers and waterways and forests um, well 
And have you attempted, like, I'm still hung up on your 3x5 project. Have you attempted a big manual shaded relief like that? <laughs> um, I started, actually started drawing the, um, it was like the northwest corner of the Olympic Peninsula. I tend to kind of work top left to bottom right when I'm doing these large drawings. I guess partially because I'm right-handed and so to avoid smearing and smudging, um, of course I can put a piece of paper under my hand and kind of avoid that smearing, but just naturally working from top left to bottom right on a large piece. So um, yeah, that I started that. Just started the small corner, I probably finished like four inches of it, four by four or something like that. Oh, wow. With yeah. um, uh, imagery as reference, uh, DEM? Yes. Yep, just black and white. I mean, so I look, definitely look at satellite imagery um, as reference as well. But of course, like, so say um, satellite imagery, the sun or the light is coming from a certain angle, which can make rendering some areas of terrain more challenging. Um, yeah, so, you know, being able to choose your light source and look at the 3D model on the computer is helpful for figuring out, is that actually a valley or is that a ridge? Um, those basic questions that could be confusing if the light source is coming from a different angle. That manual shaded relief archive is I, my favorite. I think about those airbrushers all the time. Uh, Patterson yeah. is probably the last guy who could both airbrush and then do Photoshop. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome that you, uh, you enjoy those and appreciate those as well. It's I would love to try an airbrush one day. I never have. Um, but yeah, it's it's very inspiring to see what he does and looking back through history. Yeah, and I love using those whenever I can. Like I'll, huh? I was doing an annual report map, and I'm like, I really want to try the manual shaded relief. And bless Tom Patterson, it worked, and they liked it, and they won't stop using it. And I'm like, I'm so glad these artifacts get to live on. Have you met... Anyone who airbrushed, like in art school, do you see anyone use an airbrush? I've never seen use anyone use one live. Yeah, I mean, back in school, yes, but I can't, I can't remember like a particular piece or circumstance. Um, but no, I, I haven't in recent years, and I just, I would love to learn more. <laughs> Can you recall any map makers, living or dead, that people should check out? Oh, I know. Um, someone who. I found and still find very inspiring, um, especially when I started thinking about how can I make maps, how can I do drawings and topics that I find interesting or impactful. Um, Marty Schnur, I, I'm not sure if I'm announcing her last name correctly. Do you know Marty, Marty's work? Yeah, she does uh, Maps for Good. I've, I want to ask her to come on this show too. I love her work. Oh, that would be great. Um, I just... I love her work as well. I think she's maybe the cartography lead at the Wilderness Society, working basically working with topics of conservation. Um, I remember one particular map um, a couple of years ago that I found really inspiring is an, an angled panorama view of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, coastal plain, like in northeastern Alaska. It was kind of showing like this hundred mile wide area, um, the area between the ocean and the Brooks. Uh, range mountains that was proposed for oil and gas development and the area you know overlaps with calving areas for caribou herds and the map just basically illustrated the extent and the impact of oil drilling it's just um so her work also just is 
I'm, the typography, the use of color, the layout is just so clean, but yet has so much feeling and the subject matter it's super inspiring. Yeah, the scale, the big panoramas. And you're right. I just, I feel the same way looking at those. Like, it's hard to do one of those things right, like a panorama, like good color, good typography, good subject, but she nails it. Yeah, going back to that typography, I just, yeah, so important for sure. So I'd love to you know, keep an eye and see what she's up to next. Have you done a lot of hand-lettered maps for clients? I haven't done a lot. I've done some. Again, like, you know, we all have strengths and weaknesses, and hand lettering is something that I really love doing and I enjoy doing it, but I wouldn't necessarily call myself very skilled at it. So, um, I, you know, I, I think you had mentioned you, you know, would hire a person to do an illustrated piece or you'd also look to a letterer who has a really, like, um, a skill set in that area. So if I were to do something um, that needed, like, a really high-quality lettering, I would look to someone else, but it depends on the project. You know, I enjoy doing it. Um, I think I could get better at it. So that's where I stand with hand lettering. Well, do you find that, uh, are you like trying to imitating a typeface or it's your own handwriting? Yeah, I think like, for example, the Wonderland map, um, was kind of a mix of both. I think for the uppercase, so the uppercase, um, labels for the camps and maybe even for some of those details like oh this is where i flew a kite or this is where i heard the avalanche or this is where i found a spoon that looked like a bigfoot spoon because it was enormous and it was just this branch in the woods that looks like a spoon um those were i think just handwriting from my journal um but sometimes i imitate typefaces or you know go to um, adobe fonts or another website and like scroll through and see what what's working and then um mimic i mean i think like there's a time and a place for um for mimicking um and there's a time and a place for coming up with something original and yeah there's why reinvent the wheel if there's a font that's ideal and working perfectly i probably just use the font thank you uh so much for this and i learned a lot I always look at your work and I'm like, how did that happen? But now I feel like I got a much better idea and I'm really looking forward to what else comes out of your pencil. Oh, good. I'm glad, Evan. Um, I was so excited to talk to you and yeah, thanks so much. I'm excited you're doing the podcast. See Anna's maps at AnnaEschelman.com. A-N-N-A-E-S-H-E-L-M-A-N. For show notes and bonus content, visit veryexpensivemaps.com. Today's episode is brought to you by themapconsultancy.com, supplier of beautiful, data-driven maps for your company's PowerPoint decks, reports, walls, and events. The Map Consultancy also sent in an exuberant ad, which we'll hear after I'm done. My name is Evan Applegate, I'm a cartographer, and you should make your own maps. No one wants to see dull, ugly maps. If you want to get through to your customers, you need the best cartography money can buy. The Map Consultancy will create maps with your data and your branding, PowerPoint decks, annual reports, conferences and events, your office walls. The Map Consultancy does it all. Visit themapconsultancy.com and get the best maps today.